guys, and welcome to Money Talks News, the podcast. Question, what if you could live in your home while someone else pays the mortgage? That's the idea behind house hacking. House hacking refers to living in a home or multi-unit while renting out part of it. Dedicated house hackers say it's a great way to lay a foundation for a real estate empire, one that can catapult you to financial freedom. But will it work for you? That's what we're going to find out today. I'm Stacy Johnson. As usual, my co-host will be financial journalist Miranda Marquette. Hello, Miranda. Hi, I am the opposite of house hacking. I <laughs> I choose to rent. I am the opposite of all the things. I am the one paying for your house hack. In that case, you're going to be the one who's learning the most from today's podcast. Listening in and sometimes contributing is our producer is Aaron Freeman. Hello, Aaron. Hey, guys. I'm uh, I'm curious about this episode today. It's going to be fun. Me too. I'd never even heard of this before, I have, I have to admit. Now, this week, we've got a special guest who's going to explain all of it to us. It is Robert Leonard, the author of The Everything Guide to House Hacking. Welcome, Robert. Stacy, thanks so much for having me. Thank you guys for letting me join you today. Absolutely. We need your help because none of us knows what the hell house hacking is, apparently. Oh, I know what it is. I'm the one paying for everybody else's house hacking. I had literally (laughs) never, never heard of this before. Before we start, folks, remember, don't consider anything we say here to be financial advice. You got to do your own research, consult your own experts before acting on anything that you hear on our podcast. Okay, let's dive in. First things first, Robert, what the hell is house hacking? (laughs) Yeah. So in its simplest form, I'll keep it simple. There's a lot of different ways we could dive into this, but the simplest form is when you purchase a property, a residential property, that's between one and four units, you live in part of the space and you rent out any of the additional space that you're not using. So that can look like a single family house where you live in one bedroom, rent out any of the extra bedrooms like you might've done in college or right after college, something like that. Or the most popular methods are buying like a duplex or a triplex. So a two, three, four unit property living in one of the units and then renting out the extra units that you're not living in. Oh, so okay. as it happens, I was house hacking when you kids weren't born yet. <laughs> <laughs> my my first house hack was, let's see, 1978. I bought a four bedroom house with with a friend of mine and we rented out two other rooms. So that, that was house hacking then, wasn't I? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's funny because a lot of people are like, oh, I've never ha- heard of this. I've never... It's not a new concept. The name is relatively new. Somebody added the the kind of name of house hacking to this strategy in the last decade or so. But kind of this philosophy, this approach to real estate has been going on forever. And I was just sitting the other day with my dad when my book came out and I gave him a copy. And I was like, I know this probably isn't going to add any value to your life. So you don't have to read it. But I just wanted you to at least have a copy. And then I got this thinking and I was like, wait a second. You're actually house hacking because my grandparents live with him. And they pay a portion of the rent. And I was like, wow, you actually are doing exactly what, what I talk about here in this book. And so, yeah, it, it's this exact philosophy that it actually it actually expands a lot to a lot more people than people realize. So what we've done is we just added a new label to an old concept. Yeah, basically. Right? Yeah, basically. So I, I'm, I'm glad to know that I actually am a house hacker. Not now, but have been in the past. So how do we, how, how does, I assume, Robert, that you do this. I do. I do. I've done it three times. Tell us. I'm currently sitting in my third one right now. Cool. Tell, tell, give us a little bit about your background and history, how you became to be our expert here today and, and what, what it is exactly that you're doing with house hacking personally. Yeah. So I climbed the corporate ladder, kind of went to college, did the thing that everybody says we're supposed to do, went to college, got my MBA, climbed the corporate ladder pretty high, and then decided I had an opportunity to join a podcast company that had been my favorite for five or six years. And so I joined them as a host and I started to do podcasting full-time, left my finance career behind 
And I was also a real estate investor buying rental properties. I also was house hacking. And over time, the podcast became relatively large. And so uh, Simon and Schuster reached out to me and asked if I was, they basically just offered me a book deal to write a book about house hacking. And I said, I've always wanted to write a book. I didn't, I didn't think I'd write a book about house hacking. I had been a three-time house hacker, but it wasn't something that I was thinking I'd ever write a book on, but I knew at some point I wanted to write a book. So I said, you know, this is a great opportunity. One of the largest publishers in the world. And uh, yeah, let's do it. So I, I took the opportunity, wrote the book and today it's been published, but yeah, so I've, I've owned a little over a dozen units, uh, done house hacking three times and uh, yeah, host a couple podcasts, wrote the book and that's my background basically. We, I'm fascinated. we had another guest on here, Mindy Jensen, who does a thing where she lives in a home for two years and she renovates it for that two years and, and then she sells it or keeps it or whatever she wants to do with it because it, you know, it's the capital gains things when you do it over two years. Um, and I've also read online that that is actually also called house hacking, but you're talking about buying a home and literally renting out rooms in it so that they're paying for your mortgage, right? Well, what you just mentioned, so I, I know Mindy, uh, we were actually just at a conference together. She's been on my podcast a few times. Mindy's great. Uh, that actually is a strategy of house hacking. There's a lot of different ways you can do it. You can even leverage in Airbnbs. You can leverage, there's all kinds of ways you can do it. Uh, what you just mentioned is what I call a live-in flip. So I've done that for one property as well. Like you said, you live there, renovate the property, and you're not really reducing your expenses every month while you live there. But on the back end, you are able to sell it for ideally a profit like you would with a flip property. But yeah, in terms of like general house hacking, I'd say that's a little bit more of a, it's a less of a traditional strategy. It's more of a kind of creative strategy or unconventional strategy. And, but the conventional way is like you said, it doesn't have to be bedrooms. The most common way is to do a multifamily property where you live in one unit and rent out the other units, but it can be bedrooms. Tell, tell us the exact things you've done. You said you've done three. What, what exactly have you done? Yeah, so I did the rent by the room. So I bought a two bedroom house. I lived in one bedroom, rented out the other. So I did that. Then the second thing I did was another house hack where I did a live and flip. So I lived in the property for just about two years, maybe a little over and fixed it up while I lived there and then sold it. And then the third one that I'm in now, I'm doing a multifamily house hack where I live in one unit and I rent out the additional unit. Is it, is it a duplex that you do now? Yeah, I live in a duplex right now, but you could do it with a triplex or a fourplex as well. Are you now? Here's here's where I get lost on this concept, uh, and I and I've done this before. Obviously, I've been a landlord many times. Uh, I'm not as we speak, but um, when it, it's hard to have a roommate pay the mortgage, they pay a portion of the mortgage, you know. But I mean, it's it's hard to positive cash flow on a single family house, isn't it? Yeah, you're you're not gonna well actually so. You're not going to create positive cash flow in most situations, but what you're going to do is reduce your portion of the mortgage. And also single family homes are actually usually the more profitable strategy. So when I was writing the book, I actually came up with this, this kind of concept of comfort given up versus profitability. Typically this holds true is when you're house hacking, the more comfort you give up, the more profitable your house hack will be. So you're living in a single family home, you're sharing your home with bedrooms and things like that. You have roommates. That's going to be a little bit more profitable than if you buy a duplex where it's pretty comfortable. You live in one unit, they live in another unit. That's going to be a little less profitable. But in terms of like profitability with house hacking, it's more so reducing your costs. So if you were to buy a single family house, let's just use round numbers of say a $2,000 mortgage. Instead of you having to pay $2,000 for the mortgage, 
say you have two roommates and you live in the third bedroom, they each pay $700 a month. So you have $1,400 in income coming in. Now your portion is 600 rather than 2000. And so, no, you're not making a profit every month like you would as a traditional landlord, but you've re significantly reduced your, your expenses. You're giving them the master bedroom? Yeah, you can, you got to negotiate that. I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> I would, I would like let them do each of them pay $600 and me get the master bedroom. Just be, yeah, I, I'd really take, to, I'd take that comfort. I'd take that extra comfort. Yeah. You can no, do that. I mean, this it, question, it's really, Robert, that's the great thing is it's up to you. You own the house, et cetera. And you know, if you do multifamily, sometimes the units are this identical, like in, in most duplex, a lot of duplexes are the same. And a lot of multifamily, like three and four units, they're not always the same. So you could take the biggest unit. If maybe you have a wife and a kid, one child, then you can live in the biggest unit. If you're just you and your bachelor and you have like a small unit and then some bigger units that will bring in more rent, then maybe you live in the smallest unit for now and rent out the bigger units. Yeah. I mean, there's tons of flexibility to choose what you want to do. Now, what, what's the ultimate goal? And I realize everyone can have different ultimate goals, but what's your ultimate goal here, Robert? Do you want to have 75 units? I mean, this obviously, what you're describing now is something you do for a living, right? It's just something you do to leverage real estate. But is, is your ultimate goal to have, you know, a million units? Originally, yes. When I started to get into real estate, my goal was to be basically a syndicator, own thousands and thousands of units, and that be kind of what I want to do on a day-to-day -day basis. Over time, over the last couple months, that has actually changed a bit uh, because I've had the opportunity to, sp to speak at some relatively large conferences that were multifamily syndicator conferences. And so I was kind of rubbing elbows backstage with some really big name syndicators that own 10, 15,000 units. And I'm just learning more about their business and it just doesn't really align with what I want. And so the reason for that is because they own a very small percentage of a lot of units and all these investors that they have are essentially their boss. And when I think about really how I want to design my life is I'm trying to not have a boss. And so when you start raising money from people, you now have a boss, you're reporting to those investors, you, you know, and that's kind of the model and that's not what I want to do. So for me, I think what I would rather do is rather than syndicate 100, 150 unit deals, even 50 units, I would rather take my money and buy 10 to 25 unit properties and own them entirely myself. And maybe I get to a hundred units owned all by myself versus 5,000 owned with in a syndication model. But I think over the last couple of months, that's become really clear that I think that that's going to be my, my model. Cool. Yeah. I wanted to, when I, when I was in college, I wanted, I read a book called, I think it was called how to make a million dollars in real estate without, without even trying or something like that. Anyway. So my landlord had a hundred houses, maybe, I don't know now, obviously this is a million years ago. Um, but I used to follow him around cause I, this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to have a whole bunch of houses and I used to follow him around. Uh, and I, I say this in the books I've written, you know, I followed him around until he got a restraining order. You know, I just followed him around and asked him, how do you do this? Cause he's fixing up everything all the time and everything. And I wanted to do that. And it kind of fell by the wayside for me, too. Uh, I, I shouldn't say for me, too. It fell by the wayside for me. Uh, I, I did. I had owned real estate forever. I still own some raw land right now. Uh, and, I, and I've made a lot of money in real estate, and I like it. But I, I just I've never been able to make the transition to having 50 units, you know, I guess because I was doing something else for a living the whole time. And, and you know, the, the first thing I would caution people about rental real estate is it's a pain in the ass. I mean, it, it certainly can be. Um, when times are tough, I mean, I've had crackheads in units and you can't get them out, you know, I mean, seriously. I mean, you know, you, you, depending on the laws are where you live, but 
you I mean you can you have to serve somebody personally with an eviction notice, and that costs thirty bucks to have it delivered by you know a sheriff who's not working, you know a sheriff who's working on the side or something like that. And these people just I mean the laws are as they should be perhaps, but the laws are really centered around the tenant more than they are the landlord. Oh honey, those, so if you don't get those, the right oh, tenant, oh honey, near you, honey, come to Idaho. You could be you could. We don't have any tenant protections here. Come to Idaho, honey. Oh, you don't? Yeah. It depends on the state. Yeah, it yeah, depends on the come, state. Come to Idaho. You can, you can kick everybody out all the time, anytime. Well, that's cool. I will come to Idaho then. But, you know, but I guess what I'm really trying to say is that, you know, they have all these shows on HDTV about, you know, buying stuff, fixing it up. And they make it seem so simple, you know. And it's not that simple to own rental real estate. But, Correct me if I'm wrong, though, Robert. You're the expert here. Uh, is uh, There are challenges to rental real estate, aren't there? So I would say real estate is simple, but it's not easy because the concept mm -hmm. of it is, is it's really simple. You buy a property, you put people in it, you rent it out, you make a little bit of money each month. On, on net, one, two properties doesn't really make a big difference. You get a little bit of a portfolio, then it starts to add up. With a flip, like you said, really, you buy a distressed property, you fix it up, you sell it, you make a profit. The idea of all of this is really simple. Now, actually putting that into practice, it's not always easy. There are definitely issues, challenges, if depending on what state you live in, you know, New York, California, et cetera, there's some very strong tenant laws there that protect you as a tenant. And so, yeah, you could have some really big issues there with if you're the landlord, but in some other states, like like Miranda mentioned, it's, it's a bit easier. So, I mean, it really depends. And definitely you have people not paying and people destroying units and things like that. So there is a lot of challenges that can come into it. That said, what I've noticed is that people who have the most challenges with rental properties, whether it be house acts, traditional rentals, whatever the case may be, is most of those issues become because they're not treating it like a business. They're treating it more like a mom and pop like kind of operation, and they're not really having these defined systems and processes in place. Like I have, knock on wood, I have an exact process and system that I do to screen every single tenant. I have set criteria that every single one goes through every single time and it's really strict and I do that for every property every tenant every turnover knock on wood I haven't had any issues and that's partially because of where the properties are it's partially types of properties but it's also you know having these right systems in place so there are definitely things you can do to minimize kind of the headaches that you have that's that's awesome and this is a great spot for us to stop for a second because we're going to do a quick commercial break but when we come back from that commercial break I want you to tell me exactly how to do this soup to nuts a to Z beginning to end I want you to walk me through the process so that everybody listening can buy their first property within 10 minutes after the podcast ends. No, we're going to be right back, folks. Okay, we are back. But before we start, if you appreciate what we're doing, do something for us. Share the show with your friends and family uh, on your social media platforms and subscribe to our podcast. It takes you two seconds. Really helps us out. Okay, we're back. Robert's about to make us all real estate millionaires. Um, Robert, where do we start? What, what's the first thing we do if we want to do some house hacking? The very first thing is you need to decide where you're going to buy it. So are you going to buy it where you live now? Are you going to buy it within, you know, 15, 20 minutes? Are you willing to go like maybe 30 minutes outside of where exactly where you live or where you work? Or are you moving states? Are you pretty agnostic to where you live? You don't really have family ties. You're willing to go wherever the real estate's best. So I can't tell you you, anybody on the show who's listening, anybody, I can't tell you where to go or how to buy it, but you need to define where you're going to buy. That's that's the first thing. The second thing is, no, is and this is kind no, of Robert, hard. We, we, stop yeah, right there for one second. One, one thing I always uh, tell people when it comes to real estate is you always want to buy real estate in a place where jobs are growing. 
uh, if the town you're living in is shrinking, if it's Gary, Indiana, um, you know, then you're going to have difficulty. Um, if the if the job market is growing, like it, like here in Florida, where I live in South Florida, you're probably going to have an easier time because it tends to make property values go up when jobs are in demand. True or false? True. Okay. So so we want to buy in a place where where um, well, jobs like that, are growing, uh, where the towns. The growing, first rule really, of thumb there right? was Whatever. location, location, location. Yeah. Mm-hmm. First rule. Now, what of about estate. locations? What what about that, Robert? Now, I, I've always been taught. That if if you you can cash flow better in poor neighborhoods than you can in in wealthy neighborhoods, so are you looking for neighborhoods that are on the obviously in an ideal world you're looking for a neighborhood that's about to become gentrified. It's crappy now. It's about to become great. But what what kind of a neighborhood are you looking for when you're looking for this type of property? So traditional rentals, talk about that for a brief second. On paper, yes, it almost always looks like a, a worse neighborhood will make more money. But in practice, when if, if you ha- if you had the money and you could buy two of the exact same houses, one in a really nice area and one in a really crappy area, I would almost bet that on that the net actual like money you make from each property would be more from the nice area than the worst area. But on paper, the worst pay- the worst property, the worst area would make a lot more money on paper. And the reason for that is you never estimate exactly how bad things are going to be in that property, how much uh, maintenance you're going to have, repairs, how much vacancy, etc you always underestimate it. You might estimate it a little bit higher than you would with the nice area, but when it comes to it, you it's almost always underestimated. Those properties almost always underperform. That's not to say some people haven't done really well. I definitely know some people who have, but there's a lot of headaches and there's a lot of issues that go on with that type of property. So now when it comes to house hacking, a little bit different. You have two things to consider. That's That was going to be my next thing is you have you need to consider the profitability, but you also need to consider uh, what you are willing to live with. Like when you're buying a traditional rental, you're not living there, so it doesn't really matter as much to you. But when you're buying a house hack, you're going to be living there too. So are you willing to live in a little bit of a less nice area so you can make a little bit more money possibly? Are you are you really wanting to live in a really nice area? Do you want some land? Do you want to live in the city? Do you want to live in kind of the woods area? So you really, that's the second step, part B to where you want to live is define what type of of property you want. And the type of property you want is also going to pick what type of tenants you have. Because if you buy a four unit garden style apartment building, a small apartment building in the city, that's going to bring in one type of tenant. And that's going to be a little bit different than if you buy a duplex on three acres outside the city in a really nice like neighborhood in town. So you have to kind of decide what is what are you willing to to live with and how much profitability do you want to make from your property? That's kind of step two to the location piece. Okay. What next? The next thing is to actually find the property. So go search Zillow, realtor.com, try and find find exactly what you're looking for. And if if there's nothing available, you could start to get a little bit more complicated and complex and do what some bigger time real estate investors do and go off market. Uh, but really the next step is to just find your property. And then, or, or a couple properties, and then get your mortgage, go through the entire acquisition process, do all your inspections, et cetera, and act, acquire the property, purchase the property. Now, now you're actually going to be pre-qualifying for a mortgage first, right? Yeah, you can, for sure. Yeah, I, I, would, I always advise people to do that before. I've always said, like, not pre-qualifying for a mortgage is like going to the mall without your wallet. Uh, you, can, you can find the best thing in the world, but you can't buy it. There's but pros and cons to that, though. There's pros and cons to that. What's that? There's pros and cons. To okay, that. tell me, tell me. Because if, and they're not major, but let's just say 
like if you know for sure you're 100% going to buy a house, then yeah, I think it's fine. But if you're kind of kicking the tires and you might not want to because every pull on your credit is not great. And also, if you've ever done any type of real estate before, even if you just bought a regular house, you kind of know what documents you have. You might have a relationship with somebody. So for me, I can get a pre-approval. The reason you need the pre-approval ahead is because if you want to make an offer that day, it sometimes takes a little while. But if you have a little bit of a relationship with somebody, you can get a pre-approval usually really quickly. And so it doesn't. I don't have to take the ding on my credit until I know for sure that I'm willing to make an offer on the property. So there's a little bit of things to kind of weigh there. Yeah, but I like what I like is, you know, if you're going to do the house hacking and you're starting out as a novice, right? The idea of of taking it like more of a traditional approach, like, okay, let's get pre-approved, maybe get an FHA loan. It's a little bit easier to get it pre-approved, even though you have to deal with things like the, the mortgage insurance. Uh, for a lot of people getting started, being able to start in that way, being able to take a step back and say, okay, um, like I don't have to have a real estate portfolio. I don't have to have investment backers. I don't have to have these bank relationships. Um, house hacking, when you go that more traditional route is a really good way to step up for like regular everyday folks. Like if I, if, yeah, if I were going to percent down, yeah. If, if I were going to do this, if I, if I actually wanted to own property again, I've owned property in the past. I didn't care for it. Uh, if I was ever going to own property again, um, I would like, this is how I would do it. I would definitely be like, okay, let's house hack. I'd probably buy a, a triplex or a fourplex and I'd use an FHA loan. Um, because it's just easier that way. Yeah, back back in my day, FHA would go up to four units. Is yes. that still the case mm -hmm. today? That is still the case. Yeah. Okay. Now, here's my next question, guys. Um, when you're okay, let's say we're going to buy a fourplex. When I go to the bank to borrow money, I'm going to have to be able to support the whole fourplex, or is the bank going to say, in other words, my income is enough to for two hundred thousand dollars? This fourplex costs four hundred thousand dollars. Uh, is is the bank going to say, well, he's going to rent out? Three units. They'll take into consideration. So we're, we're going to include that. Yeah. Is that, that's going to help me qualify? Yep. So they'll take you. It depends on the bank, but usually 75, 80% of your rental income. So let's just say you're going to get $1,000 a unit. They'll usually add 750 to $800 a month to your income to help you qualify for that. So that's one of the benefits of doing a multifamily where they'll do that. If it's a duplex, they'll do it. Triplex, fourplex, they'll do that. If you go the single family route, that's one of the cons is that they're not going to they're not going to take the income from the bedrooms. You're buying that as a traditional homeowner and you can rent out the rooms. There's nothing wrong with that, but yeah, they're not going to use the income to do what you just said. Now, another thing too, Robert, before we close on this house, we're going to have to figure out or this duplex or whatever it is. We're we're going to have to figure out what our rental income is going to be, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, we're, we're going to have to because we we we're going to we can't just buy a house and then hope it rents for X, Y or Z. How, how do we find out what yeah. similar quarters Actually, I, are I have this question. For? Yeah, I have this question for you, too, because, I mean, uh, real estate is really hyper regional. I mean, it's different for yeah. every one of us, um, except for Stacy and I. We're, we're in Florida, so we have the same thing. And we've got high mortgage you know, interest rates. We've got, you know, our renovation loan interest rates are pretty high. Uh, construction material the stock of construction material is low. Uh, contractor contractors are backlogged. Um, so, in in today's realm, how do you feel about this this home hacking and and what's going on today? And now homes are you know on the market longer. Uh, people can't afford their rent. I mean, so yeah. What about where, that? where do you go with that? Because we were looking at buying a duplex, and as as the home as the value kept increasing, we started doing the uh, ROI, the return on investment, with the with the rental. And we're like, this doesn't make sense. You you can't uh, bring in enough rent to pay for this mortgage, and so we didn't do it. 
Yeah. So there's kind of two questions there. One, how do we analyze it? And then two, what do we kind of make of the current conditions, economy, et cetera? So I'll touch on the first piece first. So when you're analyzing a deal, a lot of time, especially not always, but a lot of times you're going to acquire a tenant uh, with a small multifamily, like a duplex, triplex. A lot of times one side's already going to be rented. So you kind of just take what they pay for rent already and and you kind of just run that in your numbers and you can find out what market rents are and see if you have the opportunity to increase that over time for example my duplex that i live in i bought it they were significantly undervalued in terms of rent and i've increased it every time their lease came up so you can do that for sure but if you're regardless of how you're going to analyze this what what i do is there's three different sources uh that i use for data so one there's a website called rentometer.com you put in the address how many uh, the size of the property how many bedrooms etc and it'll give you how what the rents are in the area, and you can kind of make an average of what those are and kind of get some data points on that. It's not 100% accurate. I would never buy a property solely based on that, but that's one way to get at least a good data point. It's pretty, It does pretty well. So that's the first thing. The second thing is Zillow has rentals. Put in the address, go into the city, go into the neighborhood, look in Zillow and see what's for rent and just look at what the rental rates are. Third, Facebook Marketplace used to be Craigslist. You can still use Craigslist, but Facebook Marketplace, Craigslist, et cetera. Look in your town. What are what are properties like yours renting for? Kind of make notes on all of these different things and make a decision on what you think your unit will go for. You'll have a lot of data points there that you could make a decision on. You could be pretty confident in it. And then if you're still not confident, just call local real estate agents or property managers, ideally property managers, and say, hey, I'm looking at buying a two-bedroom side-by-side duplex in this area. Can you tell me how much you think it would rent for? They'll probably give you their opinion. Call three, four, five of them, get their opinions, and put it together. Look at all your data points and say, okay, this is how much I think my rent's going to be. This is what I'm going to be able to get. And I bet if you do that and you actually do it well and thorough and, and think critically about this, you'll you'll get really close with your with your analysis. And then in terms of like what you're doing now, house hacking I think is still viable because the prices of buying a single family house to live in are still going up as well. Right. So you're, I mean, they gets, everything is more expensive. So you might not profit as much with a house hack today as you would have maybe six months, a year, 18 months ago. But you, what you're mentioning about the duplex going up in value, you know, single family homes are going up in value. Everything's going up in value. So the cost of living, buying that is going to go up too. So you're, you're going to have higher costs no matter what. At least with a house hack, you still have somebody helping offset that. Maybe not as much as before, but still helping offset that. And so for me, you know, actually, I just if a numbers make sense, I'm willing to buy the deal, and that's kind of just the way I I operate. Yeah, when Mindy was on our show a few months ago, do you remember this, um, Miranda and Aaron? I said I think property value is going to go down. She said, No, they're not going to go down. They'll stop going up as much. Uh, I think they are going to come down. I think they are coming down. I mean, depending on obviously where you live. Um, so are you a are, are you a buyer today? I am Robert? always a buyer if the numbers make sense. So prior to getting into real estate, I know this is probably going to sound kind of crazy, but when I was 14, I, I found Warren Buffett and I just absolutely fell in love with him. I flew out to Omaha, go to his Berkshire Hathaway annual shareholders meeting. You know, I've been, I studied him for like almost 10 years before I got into real estate. So I've taken a lot of his principles that come from investing in equity markets, the stock market, and applied it to real estate. And one of those things is that he is always willing to buy, regardless of the economic conditions, as long as he's able to make the numbers work, as long as it's a good deal. And that's the way mm-hmm. I approach real estate is that I don't think I can predict anything that's going on in the economy. I don't think I can predict the future. I don't think I have any type of ability to predict anything. 
And so for me, the only thing I can do is control what I can control. And if I run my analysis the best I can, make sure the numbers make sense. And as long as they do, then I'm always a buyer. Then I'm always a buyer. Awesome. Um, I got a couple other questions. Um, you have a lot of uh, people rent, uh, rooming with you. So you're running out of budget or anything. How are you dealing with insurance and safety in that realm? I say like, you know, you yeah, can bring so you somebody can in your home your, and they, they your, you know, slip in your kitchen floor. You know, are they going to sue you or you're like, how are you getting around all that stuff? Yeah, I mean, they definitely can, but it's just more or less like any other type of insurance policy that you would have. Like if you rent a, an apartment with somebody out, you know, right out of college, it's just making sure you have a really good insurance policy. Also make sure you have a lease in place. It's a mistake I made. Thankfully, I didn't, it didn't come back to bite me, but my first rent by the room, I didn't have a lease in place with them. But yeah, so make sure you have a lease with everybody. And yeah, just have a really good insurance policy and you'll, you'll be okay. Now, if you're renting to, if you if you have a single family home and you're renting to somebody, you're renting out a room, do you have to tell your insurance company you've got a tenant? You should, you should. That makes sense. Yeah. And it might not make a difference. Depends on your insurance company. They might not, they might just be like, you know, it's like you having a brother that lives there or a sister, or, you know, family. So it's not too much of a difference, uh, but it's definitely worth at least mentioning it to them for sure. Cool. I, I, we kind of interrupted your chain of events, but I guess we've kind of worked through it, though, right? We we locate a property in, a, in an area that's growing. We we do the math to make sure that all the numbers work out. We purchase the property, and then uh, it, it's all uh, wine and roses from there. Is that right? Yeah. The, the one last thing I want to add on that is when you're doing your analysis, don't just... This is like one of the biggest mistakes I see people make is that they don't run an analysis for what the property will look like after they've... When they decide to leave. So a lot of people will buy a house hack, not because it's their end goal, but because they want that to be their entry into real estate. It's it's awesome for that because you could buy it with three and a half percent down and then you only have to live there for 12 months and then you can leave. And now that's a rental property for you that you only put three percent, three and a half percent down on. And so that's the plan for a lot of people. But what they don't do is they don't run the analysis on the back end. Like, what is this going to do for a rental? They only run it as a house hack. And not always is a good house hack a good rental. Sometimes you get to the end of that 12 months and you're like, crap, this is not going to be a good rental. I'm not going to cash flow at all. You know, and then you're kind of, you're not stuck. You can sell the property or, you know, do something else, but you need to run that analysis, do the front end and what I call the post hack analysis on the back end to understand both sides of the situation, if that's your plan. Awesome. So uh, Miranda, have we convinced you that it's time for you to house hack? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll I guarantee just... I'm not having any roommates in my house. No, no way. I've done, I did that, I think... but I'm not doing it now. But what I think I like about this and the different ways of house hacking is it really lets you figure out what works for you, what matters to you, what's going to work for you. And, you know, I always talk about how I'm not super interested in owning real estate uh, because I have other ways to make money and other income sources. And I think that's just fine. Uh, what I do like about the house hacking, though, is that it's a really good, as uh, Robert said, entry into real estate if you have a plan. If you're saving ahead, I mean, a, a lot of people who start out has, house hacking, they can save money and they're saving up for their down payment for their next property or for the rental property or something like that. So house hacking can be a really great way for you to have a low barrier to entry to get started so that you can start saving up or start preparing to build that real estate in the future. So I really like that for people who are interested in property, house hacking is a really great way to get started. As long as you do the analysis, like Robert said. Yeah, that's how I got started you know, many years ago. And and then, you know, and then I had and a partner, which I have to this day. It doesn't, have to, it doesn't day. have to be bedrooms. What's, what's that? I'm sorry. 
it doesn't have to be bedrooms. Like you could do multifamily yeah. and it can be, you can live in one unit. A lot of times if you buy the right duplex, it's almost like living in a single family. And even further than that, there's two other things I want to quickly mention is I have a guest who came on my podcast. This is a while ago now, but he owns a multi-million dollar house in Arizona in Phoenix. Great Airbnb destination. It has what's called a ADU in the backyard. It's like a one bedroom little ADU. And he made his mortgage was like, let's just say round numbers like $10,000 a month. And he made like three to $5,000 a month in profit just by renting out his ADU. And he's living in a mansion so in his ADU? backyard. He has a little... What's ADU? Sorry? ADU? Uh, accessory dwelling unit. Okay. So it's like a basically just a small unit that's detached usually. Like a guest in, house. Uh, on the, yeah, like a guest house. Okay. Exactly. It's like an in-law, basically just another name for it. He rents that out on Airbnb, makes a ton of money from it, and he gets to live in a mansion. So that's one way. And the second thing is you can do it with vacation properties. So you... Buy a vacation property. I want to get, I'm going to buy one in Florida and I go there whenever I want. I Airbnb it when I'm not there and that pays for kind of the time that I'm there. And that's another form of house hacking. So it doesn't just have to be kind of the college roommate type situation. Yeah, I owned an Airbnb. I owned, uh, I bought the house next door to me in 2010 and owned an Airbnb and Airbnb'd it for a couple of years. Made, made okay money. But, you know, I, I've learned over the years that, in fact, I was going to, I was telling my wife, we should, we're going to buy another house other than the one I'm sitting in right now. And I said, I'll just rent this one out. She goes, really? Because you've told me that you think it's a huge pain in the butt to rent out houses. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you're right. Uh, and and it, I have had a horrible, not a horrible time, but it takes, it takes more effort than it looks like it's going to take. Uh, and so now it's just like, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't, I don't hate it, but I'm not going to do it anymore. Even, even the va vacation rental, which I had to give up 25% of the gross to the rental agent. Uh, and, and even then, it's, it would seem like they do everything, change of sheets, you know, blah, blah, blah. But I still had to do stuff on that because things break, you know, things have to be fixed. But anyway. Still got to um, manage the manager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, we're out of time. Does anybody have anything urgent that they need to add to this topic? No? Okay, let's all, let's all go out and hack some houses. Uh, I'm afraid we're out of time, folks, but we are never out of topic. Dig a little deeper. You're going to find lots of info in our show notes and links, too. And remember, if your goal is to make more, to spend less, to retire rich, your online home is moneytalksnews.com. And don't forget to check out Miranda's online home as well. That is mirandamarquit.com. And, of course, you want Robert's book. That is The Everything Guide to house hacking the everything guide to house hacking and also robert by the way do you have a podcast would you tell me what the name of it is because i want to listen to it yeah just go to the investorspodcast.com investorspodcast.com i will go there okay folks if you've got a question comment or topic you'd like to suggest we would like to hear from you email us at hello at moneytalksnews.com and one last thing i already mentioned it once i mentioned it one more time if you like what we do do something for us subscribe to our podcast Takes you two seconds, helps us out though. So if you like us, show us. And that's it. I'm Stacy Johnson. I'm Miranda Marquette. I'm Aaron Freeman. And I'm Robert Leonard. Robert, thanks for being our guest today. You were wonderful. We are going to follow you forever. You folks have a great day. We're going to talk to you all next time. <laughs>